Hey, what's up, everybody? This is indeed the E Man. Chilling like a villain, singing like Bob Dylan, keep it all over some double stuff. Oreos. And man, let me tell you, my guest right now is an actress. She's a singer. She's a performer. And she's been doing it for minutes. I think she's been doing it for over two decades. And um, man, like the Mickey Mouse Club, man, you have no idea. Like that, that was my that was my jam. And she's she was on it for all six, no, eight seasons for six years. And uh, it's an honor. It's an honor to have her on the show today. I want to. Uh, I want to just give a big round of sound for Jennifer McGill. What's going on, Jennifer? How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm great. I'm great. It's. I'm so honored for your uh, your opening because it's. It never gets old that someone gets excited about you. I think that's awesome. So I'm really glad to be here on your show. I really appreciate your time, and uh, you're over there in Tennessee. So how how's the weather? You know how how are things over there? You know, I, I love, um, I always love it when it rains kind of anywhere. I just love the rain, but here, uh, we had a little bit of rain, I think last week and from my balcony, I get to really see it and it's very beautiful, but, but maybe it's brought a little bit of cooler temperatures for a few days. Thank God. <laughs> I like, I, I joke that I'm a polar bear. Uh, you, you rarely see me in sleeves, uh, living my life in the summertime. I just can't. So I'm very excited. Yeah getting cooler again oh my gosh fall is my favorite season and it cannot get here soon enough because i'm gonna tell you it was one hot summer it was hot. yeah we paid we paid for it so now let's get on to reaping the benefits of a good cold winter let's do that <laughs> a- absolutely i i can't i can't I, not too cold i mean i like it like like i, I love like we talk about rain i love like when it rains i'm like oh this is a good time to get a nap in because you know yeah. You know, so I'm older now, so I'm like a naps or everything. So, um, but um, before we get the interview started, though, I want to give a moment of silence um, for a few people. Um, of course, Tiffany Hale. Um, I want to give it, uh, and also Tate Lynch. And um, unfortunately, recently, a good friend of mine back home in Wilson, North Carolina, he was a great guy, passed away. His name was Donnie Boykin Jr. And um yeah, he, he passed away and I was really shocked because, you know, we're about the same age and I've, I haven't seen him in a long time, but every encounter that we had has always been positive. Hardworking guy reminds me a lot of myself. And so I just wanted to give a moment of silence for those people. I'd also like to add one more. Um, yes, about, ma'am. About a month ago, someone that I used to go to church with who um, hired me for some shows and to help write some material um, in the Christian genre and whose wife, uh, mentored me through the church and all sorts of things. I mean, what a beautiful couple. Mike Kyle passed away about a month ago. And so I, I would love to add him to that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that. I really appreciate it. Um, I'll, but all my all of my interviews, I always love to start off with the childhood because I think that's a very important foundation, you know, because mm-hmm. that's where you that's where you build your dreams. So you were born in Texas. Now, before I, I have to know, I've never been to Texas before. But if I were to go to Texas and if I were to hop out of an airplane, if I say the stars at night are big and bright, would people be like? You know, what's funny. I just watched um, a movie. I believe it was from the seventies called airplane. And I think they have that reference in there that someone said they were in a phone booth and they said, Hey, I'm in Texas. And they're like, prove it. And then they did that. And yeah, but that was a movie. But yes. um, When I was growing up, we had multiple songs that they would teach us in uh, elementary school that were about the spirit of our state. And one of them was deep in the heart of Texas. Uh Um, There was a Texas, our Texas that, that we actually sang along with the pledge of the flag, I think as well. So mm -hmm. yes, we're, we are taught state pride for sure. We were when I was a kid. Now I get that reference from this, this movie called Pee Wee's Big Adventure. And like, he's in the, I just Mm -hmm. saw I'm sorry. I I just watched that movie again too. That is absolutely right. That's right. She's he's talking to Penny. Um, Dottie. Dottie. Whatever. Yes. Yes. Not at all. No. (laughs) Absolutely iconic. Iconic characters. But yes, yes. Dottie. And he's like, I'm in Texas, and she's like, prove it, or I don't know, whatever. She's. I just watched that. That's hilarious. That I watched Uh, both. 
but got the, got that wrong. Yes, it's a, it's a, I love the movie. Actually, I, I had an honor. He, um, Mark Holton, who played Francis in that movie, I interviewed him on my podcast, and he said he uh, went somewhere. He um, he went some to some theater in Texas, and he said it was just a beautiful experience. The food was delicious. Like I said, I've never been to Texas. I always yeah. wanted to go. Um, right. Texas is amazing. And, you know, you can tell Francis, I'm a big Teen Wolf fan. Yes. Part of that movie. So just that's where oh I gosh. knew Francis from. I know that's not his name, but that's where I knew Francis from. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I'm a big I love Teen Wolf 1 and 2. Um, yeah. We talked about that. It was. Oh, my gosh. I can talk about that all day. Um, yeah. But always. OK, so what was young Jennifer like growing up in Texas? I'm pretty sure. There, there came a time where I was just a big ham. Um, I was really quiet and small um, in the beginning of times. I was always highly imaginative. So I would mm-hmm. always, I was my best playmate. You know, I, I would just, you could just put me in a room with a bunch of stuff and I'd be fine. And I fell in love with movies very early. So we would VHS record like, Yes, I, I think we just put HBO on and record whatever's there, and then yeah. we come what movies we capture, kind of that. Um, and I played a lot outside. I remember I I was able to sprint down our gravel road barefoot. I was really a outdoor Texas girl. Uh, yeah. even had a tan because I was always outside. And then something changed when I started falling in love with pageants around seven years old. Um, I think I just started exploring my um, onstage self and then I, I just got a lot goofier and cheesier and more uninhibited um, in that time when I was interested in performing and, and making people like influencing people, making people pay attention to me or giving them some joy or some laughter or some tears, depending on what, what kind of, you know, song I was delivering, et cetera. So I did start eating up I guess, stage attention around then. Um, my mother sewed and she was a great arts and crafts person. And so wow. she made most of my costumes with her sewing machine and her glue gun and yeah. would just create all the ruffles and then glue all the sequins on. And sometimes she would press rhinestones. It's a similar machine that we don't necessarily see anymore, but you know how buttons have come back where you press a button like, merch for from the 90s like it's a button you pin yes yes your favorite you know icons picture on it and stuff so it's a much smaller machine that does something very similar for a rhinestone and you would basically you know attach rhinestones by hand one by one with this metal clasp that goes around them and pierces the fabric she would spend hours bedazzling my costumes and my shoes and everything and um, so pageants were um, my sport for about three years. And she and sometimes my my brother and my dad would come to these contests. But I think I won like 48 out of 50 contests in three years. It was a Crazy. lot. There's a lot going on with that. Um, wow. And so I did. I just I, I became a ham. And I remember um, my mother brought me into a recording studio for some reason. I don't remember what we were doing and how old I was, but me and my brother just goofed off and tap danced all around the um, inside of the recording space. And little did we know that the producer was talking to my mother and wow. she's, nodding, she's nodding and looking at me through the glass. Uh-huh. I'm thinking, Oh, I'm just nailing it right now. I'm killing it with all this energy and my brother following along, but he, the producer was basically saying she needs to calm down. Like she needs to be a professional. <laughs> so I remember being like this untapped energy of entertainment in, in the very beginning of discovering what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And my biggest dream was to be like Diana Ross or Whitney Houston. I wanted to be a recording artist because I fell in love with the Wiz, the movie, um, like in my one digit nice. number, I don't remember when, but I fell in love with The Wiz. Before that, I'd loved Barbara Streisand. And then after that, I was into Whitney Houston and yeah. Michael Jackson. And I, you know, and then right after that, I started falling in love with Celine Dion and Mariah Carey. So, right. you know, the, I, yeah, I knew I knew that I wanted to do that stuff. And I just didn't know what it was going to look like until the Mickey Mouse Club. Absolutely. Well, oh, man, there's so much to take in what you just said, because like my mother, she also her and the sewing machine were like this. And so yeah. God, God, God bless her soul. She passed away. But like one of the things I got from my mother is she would go to um, Peace Goods. Right. And mm-hmm. she would just get the scraps. 
and she would just make these wonderful things, couch covers, curtains, whatever. And like, I, I got that from her as far, not as far as sewing, because I, I can't do that. But what I'm talking about, it isn't, I could just get this little thing, you know, and I don't, I, I don't need much, but you know, just that little thing and I can make it expand. You know what I'm saying? Just that, I just need that little bit of hope and I could just, that's all I need. Right. It's, it's, it's that, it's the, the manual attention to detail that it takes to do arts and crafts, but then combined with the vision of yeah. what can I make out of this? Like you do have to think outside the box. Be absolutely great. absolutely wow that's that's so great and um and um I, well you kind of answered my question already my second question but um but was there a particular i mean aside from those great people that you named was there a tv show or a movie uh, well, you said the whiz but was yeah. there another um, tv like a tv show this is the 80s so there's a lot of great tv shows and theme songs what that that made you want to say like oh my god i have to do that like i love the punky Brewster theme song that's like one of my favorite things song. So like, was there anything else like that inspired you to become an entertainer? It's funny that you said Punky Brewster because I, I can't, I wouldn't be able to sing to you the theme song, but I, that's the show that actually came to mind when you said that, which is yeah, funny. Yeah. Uh, apparently we're related. So that's totally great. Right um, on. <laughs> yeah. And so we, we love all the same things. Um, yeah, I, I loved, I did consume a lot of television and movies. I do remember some of my favorite shows. Yes, Punky Brewster was at the top. Um, performance wise, trying to think of, like, it's funny because like you'd think it would pop into my mind if it were that important, it would just pop in there out of nowhere. But yeah, Punky Brewster popped in there. W what happened to me was, um, I mean, I love movies and I love princesses. So, okay. you know, the little mermaid, you know, Ariel in the animated original Disney movie, yeah. she, her, what she did and how she was and, and the fact that she sang and I wanted to be a mermaid, you know, when I was a kid. So there was so much about her that I really, I really loved. I know she wasn't an actual, you know, child entertainer. However, um, to me, she was like a kid princess and, mm -hmm. um, I, I, you know, her and I would say Sleeping Beauty, the animated movie as well, Princess Aurora nice. um, and Cinderella a little bit too. Really, that, there weren't a lot of those going on before I jumped into the job. So I don't remember having anyone that I said, I want to be that little girl um, besides maybe the, the princesses in movies that I would see. Um, I loved, I don't remember exactly when this movie came around. This is the eight, I think this was the nineties, but I loved Willow. I loved legend. I loved yes. the princess bride for sure. I wanted yes. to be Robin Wright Penn. I wanted to be that whatever, you know, her character. Um, um, but what got me into contests was watching a grown woman compete in the Miss Texas pageant. And she sang Stand By Your Man. And she was a belter. And wow. I knew that I liked her energy. And then she won the crown. And I'm like, Mom, I want a crown like that. And that's what started uh, my mother being a small town vocal coach. And mm -hmm. she had a music degree. So she started just coaching me. She was my first vocal coach. And I was already in dance classes. So we had asked my dance teacher to get us some connections into pageants. And then honestly, I feel like it was, it was really the Mouseketeers around me. Whenever I stepped into my first job, that was when I started seeing similar children to myself and started right. gathering inspiration in a more diverse way. I mean, in my small town, there just wasn't a lot of, of that going on. And I'd never gone to a musical I don't think I'd seen anybody perform in a musical. I just remember those musical movies, Sound of Music, The Wiz. I mean, The Little Mermaid, you know, all the Disney musicals, really. Uh, that's where I pulled my first in inspiration of I'd like to be maybe a human being doing those things. But I think for me, it was between the movies and the music videos and all the artists I just named. Um, yeah. I just wanted I wanted to do what they were able to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I. I love to hear, like I was watching, um, I was watching one of your interviews and I was, I was also watching the uh, A&E biography on the Mickey Mouse Club. Uh -huh. And I love your story about like, because I was raised in a small town, Wilson, North Carolina, 45 minutes away from Raleigh. Uh, and, you know, if you live in a blue collar town like that, you know, having big dreams like that, it's, it's almost like, you know, 
you're crazy. It's laughable, right? But for you to move to Orlando, Florida, you and your family, just to take that chance, man. I love to hear stuff like that, man, because that's that's really, really, really brave. Um, what was going through your mind at age 10 when you were making this move? So th- there was a lot. There were a lot of firsts and a lot of, is this really happening moments? Uh-huh. Because when I was 10, um, maybe less of the told story is that uh, Matt Casella, who cast all seven seasons of the only mm-hmm. Mickey club and well, and the ones who went into the pilot um, as well, which is the episode or two that they create that may never see the light of day, but you know, right. they're, they're kind of the audition for the show in and, in and of itself. Um, Matt Casella had originally been casting for a movie called why, because we like you. Right. And so when it was about the original Mouseketeers from the fifties. And so when he first encountered me, that was the first audition that I did for him was okay. to audition for one of those Mouseketeers. And he, he really saw me as either Doreen or Darlene. If I had a growth spurt, I could have played Darlene, but I think maybe I matched Doreen both in my age range, but also maybe my, my singing as well. And so mm-hmm. I had gone to LA with my mother to audition, to do the final audition and filming for that movie. And I got the part, but then the writer strike happened in the late eighties, which canceled that production because no one was writing scripts for movies at that time. Okay. And so he sent my, my videotape to the, to the final audition, to the auditions for the new Mickey Mouse Club. Wow. And so I just went to the final callback in Orlando, Florida uh, to audition with uh, m- most most of the Mouseketeers who began the show. You know, most of them were there. And um, so I had been sort of kind of on a roller coaster of, I got the part of the movie. Oh, the movie's not happening. Okay, now I'm going to go audition for the TV. Great. And then I'm there, you know, then I'm there. Wow. Um, and it was a big contract. It was a contract for seven years. And you know, for my little family, for my little town and me being, you know, all of 10 years old, almost 11, I think it was a big Willy Wonka moment where it was kind of sign away, Charlie, you got nothing to lose. Like, we don't, we don't know. Um, I, I, I have no idea. I was, I'm too young or I just wasn't around to remember if my parents, you know, went to a lawyer to get the contract read over. We were, even if they did, um, I just don't know if we would have made many changes because we weren't living in a show business world. We didn't have things like entertainment lawyers ready. We had not read a contract like that before. So there were so many firsts. So when we signed it, you know, it was very exhilarating, but then something that, you know, you touched on um, family is the first team, like in a recording artist's life and a young artist's life or like a show business, even a, a child star, just actress life. Um, your family is your first team and you learn what works and what doesn't from that first team. And then hopefully you move on to expand your team to, you know, more knowledgeable and professional, not yes, people, but authentic. We have your best interest in mind people. Mm-hmm. And I believe my family very much exemplified someone who had my best, my best interest in mind to keep us together and yeah. to not separate us. And so they made a huge sacrifice and they sold the home that they had built to live out the rest of their lives in. There was a whole section called the mother-in-law suite that they could have closed off most of the rest of the house when they were in retirement age to just live in a smaller portion of the home. And just the fact that they had had all this thinking, all this, all this forethought, putting all of this information into this home for their whole life. And then they sold it when I was only 10 years old to come out and, and be a family together. And I really believe that was one of the best decisions. Yeah, yeah. That, that that was super brave, and and, and that's awesome that you, you you had that support system like that. Yeah. Um. I, okay. So, Orlando, Florida. All right. Disney, Epcot Center, Universal Studios, Nickelodeon Studios. This place is a, is it was an entertainment mecca around that time. Now, I always when I always do interviews, I, I, I probably like at least all of my like five of my interviews, I've always made reference to Michael Jackson the first time he moonwalked and the first time I saw him moonwalking as a kid. I didn't realize the significance of that, but I felt a shift in energy 
you know, I was like, wow, if the excitement in the air from just that one thing. And I was like, I, I just, I knew something bigger was about to happen. You know what I mean? And so I wanted to know for you, like when you arrived there and you're a part of this thing and knowing what we know now, did you have a sense that something bigger was going to happen? You know what I mean? Like <laughs> just looking at the history of it all, like, you know, you went to school with George Fatone. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, uh, you know, the people that you're, you're going to, that you'll be end up working with, you know, Rona, she's an in vogue. That's crazy. It's mm -hmm. just so, so many things. Like I think about Jessica Simpson. She almost uh, was cast as a Mouseketeer. Nick Carter. He was almost a Mouseketeer. He had to between, choose between that and the Backstreet Boys. All of this stuff. Did you have a sense like, oh, something big is about to happen? I don't think that I could see past my own personal excitement and enjoyment. Right. Um, I had no concept of what a pilot meant or what that took. Um, I had no concept of how many amazing children were together and how magical that would be for our fans to have all of us there together and all of the ways that we would, we would fit together, but also show diversity by being different, but the same. Um, I, I had no concept of that. I, and, and for the record, I honestly, I don't even know what, I still don't know what I made each year. I know that I made money. I have right. no idea what those checks were. So for me, I just know because of those context clues, I was really hyper-focused on the material and singing and dancing and acting in new ways. Th these are higher levels of excellence and, and attention to detail than what I had ever experienced um, on my own working through things. Um, you know, if my mother and I were super specific on a song, it's like Disney took all of those concepts to a, a bigger level. Um, getting into the recording studio and performing and being instructed, like you had a whole team back then, right. you know, behind the glass of a big studio and I'm in the Foley stage, right? Like, I, I, you know, I don't think that building even exists anymore. I had the, the honor of going back into there a few years ago and it smelled exactly the same and it started to make me cry because that was really <sighs> my favorite room was the, was the Foley stage when we would record our, all, most of our songs. I think everything, but everything, but maybe the MMC album was recorded there um, wow. in my whole area of being there. And so, and then when you put in all of that amazing dance rehearsal and all the vocal rehearsals and then getting it recorded at the stage at post-production, and then you have your dressing rooms and then going to and from all of the things and then your school room, which is so different and interesting. And then you throw us into the park with full access to the park. And then you throw in tourists who are coming in sometimes through these windows, like the Foley stage, I'm singing here and there are people like walking by, like looking at me and waving and I'm pouring my heart out into a song. And then I'm like, Oh, hi, you know, it was a very <laughs> fishbowl element, right? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. we're just, we're just swimming around and just, you know, trying to live our lives. And then you've got, you know, that element. And then you're doing half of your work in front of the camera in front of a live studio audience. And then there comes a time where people say, Hey, I saw you on that show. Remember that time you did the thing. And I'm like, I do remember that time I did the thing. And, this is what was going on with me when I was doing that. And they're like, Oh, so crazy. And it, it, there's just so many layers that I was just focused on what was right in front of me, the task at hand and the people in front of me and those interactions. We, we didn't realize to a certain extent how big the show had been, or especially how impactful, how personally helpful it was to so many young people. Yeah. Um, because it really, it was a paid channel. I mean, I know now we're in a world of subscription apps, but it, it felt almost like, I mean, I didn't have the Disney channel until I got on the show. So I, I didn't assume that most people had it, uh, you know, oh I my just gosh. things like that, you know? Right. Um, just, just to tell you a personal story for me with the Mickey Mouse Club, my best friend Juan, who I've been best friends with since uh, the third grade. Um, can you say hey to Juan for me, please? Hey, Juan! Yes, yeah. thank, thank you so much. Um, so... I remember I, I would I went um he um he was like man you got have you seen the Mickey Mouse Club I'm like the Mickey Mouse Club I'm like the I, the, the with the ears and I said no I haven't and he says so I went over his house to watch it and he's like who's the leader of the club and I said okay this is 
but then it goes, mm, hey, in the high and the hole. It's, it has a very gospel cadence, that 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 theme song, you know. And I just remember from that point on, I was just hooked. All the girls were cute. The dancing performances were amazing. I was, I was, I was, they had, you guys had Letterman jackets. This, I mean, it was so cool. And I, I and I got to thank Juan for that, man, because if it wasn't for him, you know, because the Disney Channel, people don't understand, like the Disney Channel, like you just said, it was like, I think it was not a part of the basic uh, cable subscription. So back right. in the day, I think it was like $25 or something like that. And is I certainly didn't have it. And it was a real big deal, like when we would have the free trial. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? But I was material for the free trial days. I do remember that. Oh my gosh. I remember like I was so excited that the, I had the free trial. And then like at on Friday, I was like, oh crap, it's party day. I'm about to watch it. And I get home and right in the middle of party day, wavy line, wavy line, wavy line. I was like, no. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God. It was the, I, I had tears going down my eyes. It was, it was terrible, but yeah, I mean, like that, that show, it just, it, it really changed everything for me. You know, um, I, I thought, like I said, I thought all the girls are cute. I really had a big crush on Dee, and it was just, it was, it was just crazy. Um, <laughs> well, um, gorgeous. She, uh, and she still is. I think, I think honestly, if you pulled the audience, it would be kind of the the Tiffany, Dee Dee, Brandy, like, you know, I would say both <laughs> very beginning. I mean, it, I, I was teeny tiny and I, you know, that wasn't even on my radar, but uh, you know, when you go back and you look and it's like, yeah, that, that makes sense. Like across the board, like everybody was so cute and we were all very real kids. I mean, I've watched yeah. enough back the behind the scenes footage now that it was chaos in the beginning like as you had all of us who were who were chaotic in our tween energy and then you had our brothers and sisters who were there and the parents and like I even saw footage of my mother um helping everyone teach school in the school trailer because she's she was a teacher and so like everybody was just pitching in and we really were set up in the beginning at least from my perspective and the way that I held on to that first template throughout the whole set of seasons, we were set up to be a family, like one big, yeah. crazy, chaotic family. And so I never let that go. And it took me really until this year or last year, watching all those tapes to put that together. This is why I see everyone like that. This is why, you know, even if I haven't spoken to one of us in decades, even they're still a sister or a brother. And, and that's why, because that's how our production trained us in the very beginning. And it stuck for me for sure. It, it, and I'm just watching the documentaries. It, I mean, like, it was like the, the it was a real grind. I want people to understand that. It's like it was a real grind. You went to school. You had to maintain a certain grade point average. It was like fame, and fame cost. You know, you know, it was the real thing. Yeah. Yes. And so, so I, I want people to uh, un, kids to understand that. Like back in the day, it was like you had to go out for auditions. And it was a real grind. It's not like how it is now where like you, it, it, if you got a camera, you know, a, a camera phone, you're, you're, you know, you could just put stuff on YouTube. It wasn't like that. You know, it was a real grind. And I, 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 I and, and especially if you to be on Disney, like to be recruited for the Mickey Mouse Club, you had to be a triple threat. And if you weren't a triple threat, you're going to learn these different aspects of entertainment. Right. That's right. We were constantly learning. Um, and, and I, I'm a good example because I really had not come from, I had not come from any professional gig. I had not had a previous job. Right. And so I was stage trained, but this was television. And so, I mean, just the script alone, right. This was, yeah. um, let's say, and every, every year was a little different, but let's say you'd get the first draft of the script and most of it, let's say was white pages. And mm. then you your first script reading and they'd probably give you a second version that had green pages and yellow pages and pink pages in it. And it would say where 34 through 49 existed. Now it's just one page that says 34 through 39 a, you know, and so they completely took out a section and they just would, they would change the color of the pages each time they would make a rewrite to a part of your script. Now imagine my script with all those different colored pieces of paper yeah. and times like what, 20 or 30 people and they're changing. That's how much paper we used just to get to the end of the week of rehearsal and have just the 
all the colors of the rainbow in our script, having to make change after change after change. And then the next week when you film, when you tape everything that you just rehearsed the week before, okay, you have your script, but then as you've memorized it, now they're going to block it and make changes the day of. And oh your gosh. intros and outros, right? Your intros and outros change a little bit. And they have an acting coach that helps, you know, helps you remember the line or the director can speak over the intercom, intercom and help you remember your line. But there were no cue cards. And so imagine how our brains were trained to, to absorb and spit it out, absorb and spit it out. Now retain wow. Now we're going to change it, retain that, you know, just in the, in the comedic stuff alone. And then you have your, your costume, um, try-ons and your fittings and then you have your hair and makeup and if it's just you're a normal person that's fine but then you still have to go through they fix your hair they do your makeup you have your normal clothing but they've picked out your accessories and your shoes and all the things you know but if it's a costume which you know anyone who's a fan and remembers kind of how I was on the show I definitely went through a lot of costumes and right right yeah all the fittings for that, you know, is this costume coming from the props department is, you know, where are your props? Have you worked on your props? It's all comedic timing. So, I mean, that's just, and I barely really ever talk about the acting, but one of my favorite pieces was our comedic acting and all of the kind of, I would say pomp and, and, and circumstance that comes with parading out a costume to the live audience or parading out all your props or having food fights for the first time and then having to reset Right. And then you have to go get into another costume, which looks just the same as the other one before you threw food yeah. all over. It, it is a grind. And that's just, you know, that's just our script. You know, you have um, listening on your cassette tape um, to, the song, <laughs> yeah. to the songs that you're working on for the next you know, month or t- two weeks. And then you have your vocal rehearsals for that. And then you go in and you record everything. And then you have to get the, the recording back so that you can practice lip syncing to yourself. And then you put your, your dancing and your vocals together. And then you do it in front of a live audience and you're wearing costume and hair and makeup and you do it five times at least, at least. And every time you have to go get unsweaty, people have to dab your face and make sure everything, you know, and, and all the while you're in front of an audience and you're huffing and puffing And you're, I mean, I worked so hard on my dancing because that was my weakest link. And I was just watching, it's a song called Sing, 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 I think. Yes, Uh, I remember that, yeah. The tap dance. In the very beginning, we were more parallel uh, with the spirit of the musical theater um, and and more classical dance styles, like what the original Mouseketeers would have um, gone through, like Tiffany with her ballet, you know, and all the tap dancing and all of that. And we would infuse, of course, the jazz and then over time, more hip hop, et cetera. Um, but there was a, a set of us who were tap dancers and I was always, you know, the, the weakest link in all of that. But we would even record, I think Chase and maybe Tiffany. I know, for, especially for Little Shop of Horrors, it was probably Chase, Tiffany and Kevin who recorded our, our tap sounds. But you would go back to that Foley stage yeah. and stages are fully equipped to do sound effects for movies they're set up for that and so we they'd go there and they would do their little tap sounds on the appropriate floor and they would they would record it and that was also in our in our in our music you know for something like that but sing I don't know if we were tapping but we were we had character shoes on and we and I mean I would jump down off a square like some cube and then spin around and then go right into this other direction just with, like with everybody else and I was all like I kind of fell in love with myself all over again, seeing this little girl just working her butt off to keep up with everybody else. Um, and to me, that's the spirit of what that show meant, not just to me, but to mm-hmm. everyone who emulated what we did. There were people who decided to go into the business because they would memorize all the moves and, and or people went into styling because they really enjoyed what we wore and they started trying to find pieces like that for themselves. And, you know, they wanted to go into teaching or whatever, like, because they, they saw that they could make an impact and maybe they could be a part of, you know, child performers and, and how we did it. And, and all the while, I just love it that they felt like we were all family and that we were all friends because that was a big part of why we were chosen because yes. we relatable, you know, and I, yeah. 
been more grateful about my level of being relatable more and more over the years. Because if you asked me back then, I was goofy and I weighed too much. And now I say, you know what? I was, I was a template for girls who looked just like me to tell them that they can still be celebrated that, you know, yes. when they outside, like, sure, it, you know, you, you want to be healthy, but like you're 12 or you're, you're 15 or you're 22. Like, this is how God made you. You need yes. to celebrate that and you can accomplish much just as I did, you know, and you can love it while you're doing that. And I, and, and being so goofy, I feel that um, I'm much more connected to that flavor and that, and allowing myself to laugh and to be funny. Um, it's, I found it again, uh, you know, maybe, maybe about 10 years ago, I found that again, because for okay. so long, I think I had tried to, to be not goofy. And I tried to change myself because I wanted to be like the cool kids. Yeah, yeah. Cool. But all that to say, you know, everybody goes through their struggles, but I love it that I was able to, and those, those kids were able to make other people feel safer and better about themselves and not alone. That was huge, but also to inspire those dreams of music and entertainment for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, just to ask you, there's um, there's a rumor, like I said, I mentioned Nick Carter and Jessica Simpson, but there was a rumor that Beyonce uh, tried out for the Mickey Mouse Club. Is that true or no? I've never, I've never talked to Matt Casella about that, and um, I, I don't remember a conversation about that. So. I would say if it were just from my perspective, that that's not true. Okay. Um, but I mean, Beyonce, come on now. Like, that right. was, <laughs> I mean, she's, she's so, I mean, I know she's so much further than just saying she's a triple threat now, but that would, you know, that would have been fabulous, but no, I, yeah. I don't remember that. I do remember Jessica Simpson. I didn't know about Nick Carter growing up either. So I could oh, be wow. totally wrong about Beyonce, but if they don't speak out about it publicly, then like, how do we know? How do we know right, what, right. what 18,000 auditions they went on, you know? <laughs> yeah, a- absolutely. Yeah. I, yeah. I just want to, um, just to paint a picture too, like back in the, back in that time, Disney was like a precious commodity. It's not like the juggernaut it is now. It was always, it was always powerful, but like, like for people like myself, like if in order to watch something that was Disney, it, it wasn't just on TV. It's like you either had to go to the movies to watch it or you wait for it to come out on VHS. That costs money. You know what I'm saying? And you better get it then, because if you don't get it, then it's going to go into the Disney vault. You know what I mean? Or, or if you're really lucky, you could be there on uh, be at home on Sunday night at seven o'clock and watch the wonderful world of Disney. You know what I'm saying? And even that was a mixed bag because you didn't know what you were going to get unless you had a TV guide, you know? So it was, it was, it was, it kills me when I hear young people say, oh, I'm bored. I'm like, you're bored? Dude, I, I didn't have Netflix. I didn't have all this stuff that they have now. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, it's so, it's so incredible to see how far the Disney brand had, you know, come, you know, especially recently, I think there was a D23 Expo. W- were you a part of that? I wasn't able to go. Um, oh. Uh, I'm president of an artist development company and we had an event in West Virginia at a college. Nice. And I wasn't, I wasn't able to get away from it because I, I was just, I was an integral part of that event and it had already been scheduled. So I couldn't make it. Well, con- congratulations on that. And um, also i just, just, I just want to know your opinion about, uh, you know, there's this, you know, a new live action little mermaid. And um, did you see the trailer for it? I haven't yet. You haven't? Oh, my gosh. It, man. I'm just getting over beautiful. Thor being on, on Disney Plus right now. Like, I'm just, oh, Thor. just coming out of, like, seeing Natalie Portman's guns and everything. And just, yeah. Being, yeah. So, no, I haven't, I haven't moved on to Ariel yet. So, so what's, what is that? Tell me about it. Well, it's live action. And, you know, um, have you heard of uh, Haley Bailey? Uh, I might be saying her name wrong. She's a singer. It's like Haley and Chloe. Oh, I've heard of Haley and Chloe, but just by name. Okay. Well, she's playing Ariel now. And so, you know, she's African-American. You know how, you know, a lot of people not, you know, for that, but she has an amazing voice. And it, to me, it's like, okay, she, she's a mermaid. It doesn't matter. <laughs> the spirit of Ariel. And I don't even remember, like, when I saw the original animated movie from Disney, and I know King Triton had all of these daughters, 
And I, 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 I know, I mean, maybe they all looked a little different, but maybe they all looked like him and his skin. I don't remember, but I mean, I, I just, I think that it's in, in the culture and in the way that we all are moving towards, I think it's very appropriate to open our minds to why, like, why, why does a mermaid have to be a pink mermaid? Like, why is that the case? And, yeah. you know, I think the spirit of Ariel and her, and her adventure and her, in a way, like the, the, her youth and her blind love, where she makes such a difficult choice to try to be with her her prince you know i mean to give up your voice you know what i'm saying all i'm saying is i wouldn't give up my voice for a prince so um <laughs> just saying like it's a hard choice but it's like what you know wh- why would we why would we keep ariel in the box that we had her in before you know i think that in the spirit of the mickey mouse club as well you know diversity was a huge central part of what we represented so oh yeah i love stuff like that you know i mean and yeah. I, I again like i would have to see like i would have to see ariel i would have more of an issue on if she doesn't look um like i mean i can't imagine what real shells are going to look like on a young person you know like i would be worried about how old is she always sending the right message about body image like what are these right. shells are they appropriate for a minor they're like that's where i would get it's wardrobe it's wardrobe for oh. me and then versus no, and no shells it's a wrap it's, a, well, it's like good. a body wrap so that's good and you know it's a mixed family why not and listen i if i listen ariel was about my color in the original movie i wouldn't yes. i would i would be brown if I were hanging out in open waters all day and night, yes, yeah. I would be brown. So yeah. I don't understand. Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm- <laughs> and, and like she's a mermaid. I mean, as long as she's able to sing and act, that's all I care about. You know what I mean? And I, my whole right person my, for the role. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, she has a gorgeous voice. But um, just to go back to like um. Because I, I watched a lot of the interviews, and usually when people interview a Mouseketeer, they make reference to like the breakout stars, right? And we'll talk about those people and everything, but I want to talk about people who like, to me, doesn't get enough shine like yourself. And I, I want to talk about like, you know, Albert and Chase and Tiffany and Dee Dee and Lindsay. Like, I mean... Man, I mean, like, what, what what can you say about those people, man? I th- I, th- I mean, the, those OG people, you know, the, the the OGs. The OGs are my most treasured family from the show because they were who I made my first memories with. Um, yeah, Dee Dee was my first um, dressing room mate, and I remember moments of us playing with the phone in our dressing room and. You know, I, I remember, you know, Lindsay was the first person to have a birthday while we were taping, you know, and they brought Mickey Mouse to see her and uh, she turned 11, you know, and I'd already turned 11 at that point. Um, it, you know, and I don't, I don't think it was there, you know, while we were taping and, um, you know, Albert, I, w- I was really separated from him. Once the party started, um, I wasn't really, I didn't have a lot of access to him. So Uh I had been super curious about, I'd been super curious about many of them through the years when it was before social media was big. And we hadn't really all, if we weren't living in the same big town, like LA or New York, um, we, I didn't know what everyone was doing. Um, but so I had been really super curious about Albert, um, for a long time. And now, like every time I see him, he's honestly probably the the most loving brother him and chase are the most loving brothers to me and albert has one of the biggest and softest hearts that i've ever met and that's saying a lot because i mean Didi has one of the biggest softest hearts that i've ever met you know you can kind of go on and on with that so many and you know Lindsay and i would sort of be ships passing in the night when it came to new york you know because i was finishing college when she was coming through and um but I remember a few years ago before MMC 30, I had the pleasure of visiting Brandy in her home and when we sat down and talked, that was the first conversation we had ever had as an adult. And it was, it was just life-changing because you have these remembrances of these children 
who at the time we weren't children, we were peers. It was just where we were in our life. And these were the, the kids that I looked up to and wanted to be like. And so when you speak to them now and see how tender they are and how loving we are all to each other, um, it's, it's sort of this interesting familial completion for me that now we all love each other and it's now, yeah. right? So long ago. And it's been since the time I probably set foot in on property for the first time to, for the first audition, it's been 35 or 34 years since I started that journey with those, with those kids. And so wow. to imagine that now, after all these years, we are still in my perspective and in many of our perspectives, brother and sister yeah. um, is super impactful for me. Um, and to see how we all turned out and to see some similarities between us, um, how, how we're still all perfectionists, you know, how we want to do such an amazing job for our fans. Like we care so much and we're all so much harder on ourselves. And then of course the fan perspective is like, you, you guys were nuts out there. It was amazing. And we're like, well, you know, I missed this one note. I needed, I missed that one dance move, you know? Um, so yeah, like I looked up to all of them so much and I will always remember, um, my favorite memory of Tiffany was actually right in the beginning. She was a very, and I've seen it in some of our, our, our tapes that I've watched recently. She wanted to take care of people. She, um, like if, if Lindsay were, was falling behind, she'd stay with her. And with me, um, we were before everyone arrived at our apartment complex when I think we were starting the, the real show. I don't think it was the pilot. I think it's when we were starting the first season. Uh, I don't, it was one, it was either the beginning of the pilot or the beginning of the first season, but it was the quiet before the storm. Cause not everyone had arrived. Not all the chaos had begun. And she and I just sat out like kind of at the foot of the stairs, there was this opening out to kind of a swampy area back there and uh, very, very typical of Orlando apartments and, and houses and stuff. And we would, we sat there with our, with our, our knees crossed, like our legs crossed and we, we found frogs and we balanced them on our knees and it was <laughs> weird Zen one with the frogs moment. <laughs> and it was so odd, which was very me. And I loved it that she was just down for that. Like to just sit there with, with Jennifer yeah. and enjoy the quiet and the nature and to just be with me because really after that she was kind of swept up with some of the older girls you know um but that to me was like our moment just a really sweet quiet moment with nobody else and I don't know why that sticks out to me so much I'm sure I had that with others but I think maybe because she's not here with us anymore in the physical world I just I hang on to that one moment that we had together that was so quietly impactful for me yes I, I remember um I think uh you did you were you did an interview with Mylan and Dee, Dee and yes. um and that was a great interview um that was so much fun to listen to and I remember Dee, Dee saying like you know Tiffany had a motherly type of spirit you know and uh, oh gosh man goodness um so I have a very, very, I can't believe I skipped this question because it's like one of my most important questions I asked all of my guests. What was your favorite cereal growing up and what was your favorite Saturday morning cartoon? Okay, so <laughs> I, um, my favorite cereal was Fruit Loops, but we weren't okay. allowed to have it at home. So okay. I had it at like other people's houses or <laughs> go to the family reunion. Sometimes they yeah. have or you get it at school, like in the little box, little bowls. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so wow. That was all that's anywhere I could get. Now, of course, when I got on the Mickey Mouse Club, all that stuff was everywhere, which is part of why I struggled with my weight for a minute, because they had all the things I was never allowed to have before at craft services. And so wow. I would get these cups of M&Ms and Fruit Loops and I don't know, Fritos, whatever I had. 
and I would just go like hide in the dressing room and be like lunch like this is <laughs> so I did I was I was a little snacky for, because it was like in a way Willy Wonka's chocolate factory like the whole come with me and like everything okay. was everything <laughs> my wildest dreams had imagined that I couldn't have I was able to have it uh there yeah but then my my favorite Saturday morning cartoon was Dungeons and Dragons. Um, really? Wow. I, I thought it was fantastically crazy that these these people get on a ride in a roller coaster. Yeah. They get like transformed through a portal and there's like a wizard and there was this girl that was like a warrior with like a staff and like yeah. she had, and I really think that was I mean it was either the princesses or the warrior princesses that I just thought were the the coolest people and like and so she was like just just a warrior i guess like just a warrior like that's not enough but like i just love seeing um that that those characters i don't even remember anything that happened on the show it was the opening that got me the opening mm-hmm. yeah because i love too and i'm like maybe that'll happen to me so wow. yeah i, I love that i also loved the care bears a lot um i loved i loved that one rainbow bright was a if I had to pick one, I would totally want to watch again and, and just sort of remember Dungeons and Dragons. And I don't remember anybody knowing that cartoon. Uh, I, that's why I was like, wow, I can't believe you said that. Because like a lot of people would say, oh, Thundercats, but that whatever, whatever really wasn't Saturday morning. But like, you know, Rainbow Bright, like you said. But when you said Dungeons and Dragons, like, wow, she remembers that. I remember um, and, and, and as, uh, going back to the interview that you had with Dee Dee Mylin. And you made a Care Bear stare, uh, Care Bear reference. You said Care Bear stare. I thought, I thought that was so cool. I mean, think about it. Like that's that's just magical. That like when you think about that in a spiritual sense, that you know the core of where we feel is right there in the middle. Like our core, if you feel hard enough, or if you project that the power from within you forward, and especially in a group of you, right? You yes. Can, like, Bonker stuff. And then I remember Dave Chappelle did a bit about it. And I'm like, Dave Chappelle, <laughs> it with the Care Bear stare. You know, so I just I did. Like I had Care Bears and I had Rainbow Bright dolls. And um I did like the Smurfs, but you know, everyone knows what the Smurfs are. That wasn't yeah. that to me wasn't something that I just held on to as much as yeah, yeah. And like, do you remember pole position? I don't remember anything yes. about it except that there was an animal on it, and I think its name was Kuma, and I named my first cat Kuma. Wow. An animal, whatever that was. Yeah. How can I remember just one segment and not, I I can't remember the show. (laughs) No, it'd be like, it it is like that because like, I remember um, there's this cartoon called Turbo Team and Turbo Team would turn into a a, a freaking Corvette every time he gets wet. And I remember like him, him transforming into the, to the car was really creepy. I mean, it was really horrifying, but um. It's Turbo Teen. I remember, like, you know, I was really into, like, of course, Transformers and He-Man and stuff like that. But there is a cartoon called Bionic 6. I thought that, that was fantastic. I wanted to ask you, too. Um, were you, <laughs> it's going to sound really strange, Nickelodeon Studios premiered around 1990. Did you, were you guys allowed to go over there? Or was it like a, was it a thing of, like, you must never go over there? You know? <laughs> For sure. I mean, I don't remember anybody telling us not to go over there. I mean, at the time... Let's see. At the time that that was premiering, I wasn't able to drive yet. Okay. So I wasn't able to go anywhere anyway and visit out in, you know, of my own choice. Um, and I might have gone over there, but I did make friends like later in life. Um, you know, Melissa Joan Hart and I had had a few conversations. Cool. I had I had spoofed her on the new Mickey Mouse Club. I played Clarissa explains it all, but I can't remember what they changed my name to. Wow. Um, and that was an honor because I loved that show. Oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I've been friends with Sean O'Neill. Um, it was after the fact. I don't know if I really talked to any of them during the tapings, but I remember I was around them enough somewhere in high school, you know, that, yeah. that we had some friendships. And then I saw Melissa a little while later while I was in college in New York. You know, it was just, you know, really just small moments there. Um, but I, I mean, one of my favorite shows was you can't do that on television or didn't want me to watch it because she, she being a a grade school teacher, she didn't like that. You got punished for saying that you didn't know. 
Right, right. <laughs> and I'm like, mom, you know, because it's, oh, wow. we're not thinking along those lines of that. I mean, I get what, what she was saying about, the, I guess, negative reinforcement or whatever, but yeah. Uh, I just, I mean, we all just wanted people, we just wanted to see people get slimed, you know, of course. Wow. That was, so, uh, but I never met any of that cast. I did have the pleasure of singing on the same stage at the same event as Alanis, but she was just Alanis in, in Canada. What? Made her debut um, with Jagged Little Pill in America and of course worldwide. She was just Alanis as an artist name. And we, uh, the, the MMC soloists, sang at the um, Niagara Falls Canadian side um, on a stage built out for the, the ringing in of the new year that year. So that was probably a, probably into 1995. That was probably 94 into 95 that we rang in the new year in Canada. And she was part of that, um, the, sta- the group, not us, but she was a part of the performance list, the roster for that show. And it was televised. And I have her like she, like I have footage somewhere of her being like in the lineup with the rest of us. And it's like, thank you to Atlantis. Thank you to MMC for coming. And we're all like, bye. Wow. And had any idea what was going on next to us or what was going to happen. That's you know? crazy. Cause so, that album, I had that album. I love oh, that album. That was such a great album. That was very definitive, you know, for me. Um, when I, Fast forward into right after I, I graduated from college, I briefly was working with Capitol Records on a record deal. And, you know, they had had a lot. I mean, we were we were basically coming into the pop, the bubblegum pop era like it was all all of that. And I had been sort of primed to be an, an Alanis Morissette in my mind. I wanted yeah. to be like a like a gospel rocker. Like I wanted to be Whitney and Alanis all rolled into one. Um, and I loved the Lenny Kravitz, like, I want to get away song. Yeah. Yeah. And all that. And so in the record label was kind of like, huh, what is what that's not (laughs) what. And, and so it just turned out that I was too like heady and, um, like tall and older and uh, well, everything I wanted to do was deeper and darker than what they were moving towards at the time. So it was wasn't going to work out but like I mean Alanis was a huge Alanis Morissette's that particular album is a huge inspiration for me and kind of everything that I listened to yeah. uh, years in college yeah and when you said college I looked it up by NYU notebook right here I don't know if you could see it or not. Yeah, absolutely. yeah yeah congratulations on that my homeboy he graduated from NYU shout out to Gerald Main and he gave me that as a gift <laughs> have one chance to have a FaceTime conversation FaceTime conversation with the 12-year-old self. But here's the only thing. is like you only have one minute to say whatever you need to say. And what you say to your 12-year-old self can affect your future. So what would you say to your 12-year-old self if you had an opportunity to have that one-minute that one minute conversation? I would say some surprising things to her that would probably, well, that would probably scare her. But of course, this is, you know, if I'm trying to alter you know, if, if I'm trying to maybe heal some regrets that I had at, at that age, I would tell her that not to listen to anybody about uh, any negative uh, comments about what you look like, that you are um, a treasure inside and out, and that everything that is in your power has nothing to do with the shape of your body. It is everything, yeah. heart and your soul and the, the talent that God gave you. I would say, um, treasure your mother and both of you start exercising ASAP, get your eating right now, because you're going to be a good influence on your mom, as well as everybody else in your life. And you are going to have a a healthier existence and, and maybe a longer life because of that. And make sure that your value uh, is not compromised because you're, you're afraid to give yourself permission to be as valuable as you are. So, yeah. And buy property right away. Yeah. And, <laughs> and invest in Amazon and Apple. That's funny. Yeah. Invest yes. Buy property right away. Take care of your body and take care of your mother. I mean, that's absolutely what it is. Um, how did 2020 change you? You know, I have I, I actually have um, a, a lot of good report about that. And it's hard to talk about it um, without, of course, saying for the record that 
I would never have wished COVID on our, on our world. And I did not um, lose a family member or a loved one to COVID. And so I, I can't connect to how that could trump someone's um, effect as far as what COVID did to their life. I, I have mm-hmm. to say, I don't know. I don't know that trauma, so I can't speak to that part of it. Um, because I have, have always been um, a silver lining person, I wanna see the best in people, and I always try to say yes to things. Mm-hmm. Um, I found myself right before COVID and not understanding at the time, but I found myself kind of in this rotation of obligation. Ooh, rotation of obligation. And I was able through the time of COVID where we were isolated to reevaluate what I wanted to add back into my life. Okay. And I got rid of things that when I look back on it now were a lot of things I was doing for free or that were because someone asked me to do it that were over like overtaxing me. It felt like I burned out. It felt like I burning out. So I was able to push the reset button and really explore the things that I wanted to do with my life. Um, I did get more family time. I did, uh, you know, I, I, I did get to do that. I, I am an, actually an introvert. So I got to work from home and I nice. how much I love working from home. Um, I love events. I love going to events, but day to day, I really love being able to be here with my dog to make my lunch from my home to walk my dog, to not have to deal with doggy care or, you know, to have students come over, but also to do a lot of business online, to take mm-hmm. a break, need to, to come back to, I mean, all of that stuff now is very precious to me. And I didn't realize how well and how fast I would work in that type of environment. And so that was a new discovery. Um, and, and really I, I did change a lot. I, 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 discovered my value. I discovered, um, some changes in relationships I need to make. I I needed to have made, and I did that. And I redrew my boundaries. And since all of those changes, I'm so much happier and wiser and I'm toxic free and I am drama free. And it's, it's, I can't believe that that might not have ever happened had I not gone through that time of isolation. Um, I, I don't think that actually God and I got any differently close. I think that if anything, I was, I just had more quiet time to be able to, to have that special time. But um, I think in a way with, with all the less extra things, I think I was maybe just able to spend more time in that, or it was a deeper, quicker access point to God. So that's very interesting too. But I think everyone considered their mortality in a different way during that time. Oh yeah. Yes. I do magnified my connection. Absolutely. And um just want to say uh this this whole podcast is about giving a person their flowers. And I want to say thank you for being a part of my childhood and thank you for just making amazing music. I listened to your album Unbreakable and I really I can hear the inspiration because of, of Celine and got a touch of Whitney in there. It's really, you got a really strong, powerful voice. And I really enjoy it. It's a nice, great album, nice worship album, you know, and I, um, just keep on doing what you're doing. How can folks reach you? You can find me and in all of my facets through jennifermcgill.com. Uh, through there, you can find all my social media. Um, there is an interviews playlist, so you can find that on my YouTube. Nice. Uh, and then, you know, if you like Instagram, that's normally where I hang out. So if you really want to connect, Instagram is where I go. And uh, on Instagram, there's a link tree, a link in my profile where any interviews I have or any events and tickets and things, you know, you can find them on there on a list. So that, that's really the best way to get in touch with me. And if you do have um, a friend or parents, parent friends who have a young a young tween teen who is interested in artist development, who's interested in doing some of the stuff I've talked about getting into when I was that age. Um, I am president of an artist development company. It's called PCG artist development. And you can search that. Um, I'm going to start putting more access to that um, 
on my socials, but for now the address is in my bio description on my Instagram, but it's pcgartistdevelopment.com. And um, I'm a point of contact if you're interested in, you know, possibly getting your kid a little bit more of a of, a, of an expanded team, or if you're you know slightly older, you're thinking about college and you're like, do I need to go to college to be an artist? No, right. you can, but no, there's no gate that you're going to open with a college degree unless you're going somewhere to like NYU and they offer you a showcase that lets, you know, the Broadway community see you, you know, if it's something like that, sure. If they have a, a gateway into the business, that's awesome. But nine times out of 10, what we do as a preparatory company is more on trend and um, up to the minute training with um, people who've won awards and written for all, all the big celebrities and who have connections with major record labels. So we, I really love this company uh, because it really connects me back to serving in ways that I would have wanted to be served when I was in in that young place, learning the business for the first time. Absolutely. Keep on doing what you're doing. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been fun. It's been a lot of fun and I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Of course. I really appreciate being here too. Thanks for all the awesome questions. Those were great. Never got to talk about Fruit Loops before or uh, or yes. yes. Thank you. Absolutely. And I hope you have a beautiful day. Thank you so much. Thank you. You too. All right. Ciao.